Today on the show, we don't have all the answers, and we've been conditioned to die rather than expose podcasting's deepest secrets. We're talking Spacing Guild. Welcome to Gamjabar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe, from Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV. My name is Leo. And my name's Abu. And today on the show, we're taking a flight through Uh so much, so much history. (laughs) But I promise it's exciting. It's going to be fun. We're talking the Spacing Guild. Hey. Hey. That's right. So this was actually a topic voted on by our patrons. Whoa. Our patrons get to help us decide what deep dive topics we cover on this show. Mm-hmm. And this is what won the most recent vote. Indeed it is. And you know what? It's exciting. It's fun. But first we have to do housekeeping <laughs> before we say more. So spoiler warning for today's episode. No spoilers. Hey. 100% safe. Whoa. Look at that. Amazing. We will come back to the guild at some point to talk about its kind of evolution, the Spacing Guild's evolution in the books and things that happen later on. But today we're talking relatively ancient history. So if you haven't yet read Dune, you haven't yet listened to our amazing 10-part book series guiding you through that first book, just know you're totally safe here. We're not going to cover anything before the first page of Dune. That's right. And as always, we love to hear from you. So whether you have Dune lore questions, suggestions, feedback, memes, (laughs) ideas for future episodes, send it all to gomjabarpodcast at gmail.com, particularly those memes, folks. Oh, I love them. So it gets me through the work day. (laughs) They're so good. And speaking of emails, actually, in addition to the patron vote, this episode topic was an idea from listeners Colin Wilcox and Dave Treese. Hey. Thank you so much, guys, for the email, for the idea. Here we go. We're doing it. (laughs) Just for you, Colin and Dave. Just for you. You could be the next Colin and or Dave. (laughs) (laughs) You could be both of them. Send us an email. We're lonely. (laughs) We're not. We're super behind in responding, but it's fine. Another idea. Hey, here's a thought. Mm -hmm. Consider supporting us on Patreon.com. If you've ever heard of it. What a great thought. What a great thought. This show is an almost unbelievable amount of work. (laughs) (laughs) And it's really because of Patreon that we are able to keep it going and that we're able to give it the time it deserves. So first of all, thank you, patrons. Mm -hmm. Y'all are amazing. Oh, yeah. And if you haven't yet had a chance, check out patreon.com forward slash gamjabar and check out our offerings. You can get ad-free episodes, some bonus goodies, all sorts of fun stuff. Check it out. It's awesome. For sure. And of course, we got to shout out our Kwisatz Haderach level patrons. Oh my God. Case Aiken, Nate Hyde, your support is unbelievable. Yeah. You guys are the Kwisatz Haderachs. Thank you so <laughs> much for your support. But of course, that thank you extends to all of our patrons, to all of our listeners, to everybody who listens to and shares this show week after week. You are all the reason we can keep this going. Indeed. 
for 10,000 more years. <laughs> oh, my God. No, please. Sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, and. Shortening the path to us doing this full time. Also, if you want to shorten the path to people liking the way you look. <laughs> hey. That's a segue I thought of while you were talking. <laughs> Brilliant. Love it. Gomjabarshop.com. We've got merch. Check it out. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And stuff to come. Keep an eye on it. Gomjabarshop.com. That's right, folks. Okay. We did all the grown-up stuff. Yes. Housekeeping out of the way. <sighs> Let's talk about the guild. Yes. First off, we want to sort of set the scene. Right. Why talk about the guild? Of course, the answer is the patrons, Colin, Dave, <laughs> yeah. wanted us to. But in addition to that, it really is not an exaggeration to say that the Spacing Guild is one of the single most important organizations in the entire Dune universe. Right. In the entire story of Dune, yeah. the Spacing Guild plays a pivotal role start to finish. And understanding their influence is key to understanding many of the major events that take place in the story, to understanding the politics of this entire Imperium. Yeah. So here's the plan for today's episode. We're going to start with the story of two brilliant scientists, both, God, they're probably both so hot. Oh, my God. And they are into each other. They're lovers, scientists and lovers. Ooh. Oh, best combination. Juicy. <laughs> Did you say juicy? There's some, there's some chemistry there, if you know what I mean. Hey, got him. <laughs> <laughs> they studied biology <laughs> together. <laughs> hey. Hey. <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> they together <laughs> ensure basically a future for humanity after the butlerian jihad mm -hmm. and they literally laid the foundation for the spacing guild yeah oh yeah so we're gonna talk about them mm -hmm. and then we'll wrap up this episode by talking about the guild's rise to power it's kind of finding its place in the imperium and basically how it built itself into the interplanetary interstellar shipping monopoly that we know and uh uh love tolerate uh are subjugated by <laughs> choose your verb yeah 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 a lot of mixed capitalist feelings here on this episode <laughs> that we're about to express like that goddamn amazon logo just <laughs> you see the guild logo and you go okay i mean three-day shipping's pretty good but right before we dive headfirst into the history and foundation of the Spacing Guild, we're going to take a short break. Right. But stick around, folks. When we get back, we're jumping in feed first. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you had a good break. So let's get into it. Let's talk about the earliest years. It's worth acknowledging here, as we kind of always have to, that <laughs> Frank Herbert wrote the six books, his son Brian Herbert wrote a bunch more books, and some of Brian Herbert's books cover these historic events. We will be focusing today, as always, on Frank Herbert's writings, and of course, as always, the Dune Encyclopedia, for reasons we've explained a hundred times. 
Brian's universe contradicts Frank's in a number of ways. So we're not going to be talking about it today, but you know, maybe one day, let us know if you want us to cover Brian Herbert's writings. We're, we will do it. (laughs) Yeah. We are open to it is, (laughs) is the phrasing I'm going to go with. (laughs) Yeah. So that having been said, let's set the stage. Right. In the Dune timeline, humanity starts colonizing planets, starts going out into the stars about 150 years into the future. Right. Like from today, right? From today, right. From current timeline. Yeah. And then about 1500 years later, (laughs) humanity discovers faster than light travel. Wow. So for reference... The discovery of FTL travel is still about 23,000 years before the first pages of Dune. So we're talking a long amount of time. Recall that Dune takes place about 30,000 years into the future. Right, right. Now, as you can imagine, faster than light travel is pretty dangerous. Yeah. (laughs) But with the help of computers, humanity was able to safely colonize thousands of planets. It expedited that interstellar growth for humanity. Right. All of this is going super great, which it definitely isn't, but (laughs) that's a story for another time. Humanity is spreading out across the stars Mm -hmm. until a wee little incident that history likes to call the Butlerian Jihad. Oh, Oh, no. (laughs) That completely and utterly changed the course of humanity forever. Yeah. (laughs) We have to do a Butlerian Jihad episode at some point. (laughs) Like, there's no getting around it. Yeah. There's so much to say about it. But very briefly, just to make sure this episode is kind of a well-contained little story. Right. Guided by a hyper-fanatical sect of humanity, uh, we basically eliminated, murdered, killed, genocided all artificial intelligence, a.k.a. thinking machines, and banned the use of any remotely computer-like gadgets. You got to... TI-89, get rid of it. It's too smart. (laughs) You got a Keurig that says good morning in the mornings, get rid of it. You got Mm -hmm. one that doesn't, you can keep it, but we're going to keep an eye on it. Right. All right. Right. (laughs) The minute it utters a syllable, get rid of it. (laughs) Meanwhile, Keurig owners rush home. Don't say anything. (laughs) Be quiet. I need to keep you. Janice, I need you to be quiet, okay? They're coming for our love. Siri, shut the fuck up for a bit, okay? (laughs) Be quiet. (laughs) I need you to be safe, all right? Siri can't even get that command right, starts babbling. (laughs) Here's what I found. (laughs) Shut the fuck up. (laughs) No, Siri. (laughs) Here's what I found for genocide, defined as. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) So computer-like gadgets completely gone from the universe, And this goes on to influence basically every element of life in the Imperium, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, think about what the iPhone and what smartphones did to modern culture. Taking those away would change things invariably, right? This also sets the stage for Mentats, the human computers, the Bene Gesserit, the secretive mystic women, you know, (laughs) warriors, politicians. And of course, the reason we're here today, the Spacing Guild. (laughs) That's right. Now, this massive history-defining event, the Jihad, ended around 100 years before the actual official founding of the Spacing Guild. Right. And to be clear, a post-computer universe for humanity was tough. Yeah. 
especially when trying to travel faster than light. Computers handed all those algorithms, and now they suddenly don't because computers have been banned. And so trying to travel faster than light or trying to travel across the stars like they used to was quite literally an astronomical risk. Yeah. This was a huge problem now for humanity. How do we travel? How does commerce happen? How do we phone a friend during Who Wants to Be a Millionaire without the ability to send and receive things at faster than light speeds? Yeah. It shattered the infrastructure of the Imperium. It was like an incredibly debilitating moment in history. Right. It ran Who Wants to Be a Millionaire into the ground. They had to end <laughs> the show. A lot of shows, as it turns out, a lot of television, <laughs> weirdly, relied on interstellar travel. It was a very strange time for television. But you're right. That show in particular. Yeah. But it ended. The Butlerian Jihad came to a conclusion, basically. The sentiments never did, but certainly... The like bloodshed, the oil shed. I don't know. How do you say that? Point is, <laughs> it came to an end. And although it came to an end, still about a hundred years before the foundation, the formal foundation of the Spacing Guild, it was only about eight years after the end of the jihad that the guild's first seeds were planted. Like the very first inklings of the guild were established. And they were established on a planet that some of our listeners might recognize. A planet called Tupil. Yes, Tupil. Tupil. <laughs> now, before we can jump straight to Tupil, we got to back up a bit. Right. Because we got to talk about these two incredible <laughs> scientist lovers yeah. called Aurelius Venport and Norma <laughs> we, Sevna. We have to quickly pitch a show to HBO before we can talk about Tupil. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. We have joked about <laughs> pitches before. This is actually a real deal pitch, HBO, please. Top three, no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> like without without even exaggerating, I think this is probably one of the two or three best show ideas that we've talked about Yeah, in over 40 episodes. Hands down, hands down. And it's not even our idea. We're just ripping it straight <laughs> from the encyclopedia, you know? <laughs> Listen, business people will do business things, okay? <laughs> right. So our little love story begins on the humble planet of Comos, nice. which later became Ix, right. which is a planet many of us will recognize from the books. Right. Following the very first days of the Butlerian Jihad, a number of scientists and inventors and overall geeks <laughs> from yeah. the neighboring planet Rachis were the early targets of the Jihad and were thus banished to Comos slash Ix. Right. Now, these scientists were pretty much undeterred after their banishment <laughs> and continued to make technology and work on things that were just in this new universe, just barely, barely, barely allowed, yeah. really walking that line of Keregs that utter syllables, but they're not quite English, so you're not sure if they uttered <laughs> syllables, you know? They're walking that yeah. really, really fuzzy line. <laughs> they're speaking sim, <laughs> like they're like speaking sim, <laughs> what is it, what's it called, simlish, sim... Whatever. Simlish? Yeah. I don't know, actually. They're like Animal Crossing characters. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and the Butlerians are like, okay, still technically allowed, but right. come on. Well played. The minute I recognize one of those words, though, it's off with your head, buddy. <laughs> now, among the first generation of children born on X was this frighteningly intelligent young lad 
named Aurelius Van Port. Yeah. And the equally intimidating and incredible Norma Sevna. Uh, yeah. She's wonderful. Oh, my God. MVP. Uh, she's incredible. So good. Yeah. Now, together, despite both of them being born during the Butlerian Jihad, <laughs> during this uprising against technology, uh-huh. this power couple strongly believed that humanity shouldn't walk back from technology that much. Right. Their ideals went against the common understanding at that time. So right. from the very start, they're kind of rebels and fresh thinkers and don't just go along with the grain. Yeah. And in addition to sharing this belief and love of technology, Aurelius and Norma also had a deep interest in interstellar spacecrafts and in interstellar travel. Right. And thus they very quickly established themselves as some of the greatest shipwrights in the galaxy. They really built a career for themselves, making some cool ships. Yeah. Like the Millennium Falcon, I assume. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> now, Comos, later renamed Ix, was a beautiful planet. Mm-hmm. Really lush, a lot of farming possibilities there. And the nerds from Ricci's did a pretty good job of establishing kind of a scientific industry. Right. But the planet had limits, like it couldn't be the thriving planet that Rachis had been before the Jihad. So Aurelius, like <laughs> like so many of us, I'm sure, uh, hit a plateau at 30 years old. Mm. He was like, well, damn, yeah, <laughs> here I am. Leo, remind me how old you are again. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, let me look back along the long, flat plane of this plateau I've been riding. Uh, eh, you know. Late, late 20s. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Super late 20s, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, unfortunately, the planet had these limits, and his research was getting to the limit of planet X's capabilities at the time. And so, again, like so many of us, the solution to his plateau was a long-ass road trip with all of his friends, basically. With the support of the other Ixians, because everybody on the planet's like, yeah, this kid's the fucking smartest. Like, this kid's so good. He should get out there. He should do great things. This is not the best place in the universe for pushing research forward. We're right next to the center of the Butlerian Jihad. <laughs> so maybe getting out of town is a good idea. Venport Sevna, so Aurelius Venport and Norma Sevna, and a bunch of Ixian scientists built three ships, and the Aurelian exiles began. And this is basically a 10-year period where they sort of make their way system to system, trying to find a place to call home and trying to find a place that will be their kind of home base for furthering their kind of technological capabilities. And of course, all of this leads them to the fringes of the known universe, distant, way out there, somewhere that many people had not even heard of, like, I don't know, South Dakota on a planet that would <laughs> become to known as Tupil. Right. <laughs> Tupil slash South Dakota. So remote. <laughs> it's worth mentioning that en route, they had to stop for snacks and gas at some point. <laughs> and they actually picked up a woman named Leona Shard, mm. who claimed to be a Benny Jesuit. Right. And she will become more significant later on, but the gist is that her and Norma strike up a friendship, and she trains Norma Sevna in some Bene Gesserit techniques, which will become relevant in just a little bit. Right. 
Now, once the crew lands on Tupil, it's perfect. Yeah. Tupil is ideal for this venture of theirs for a couple of reasons. Firstly, the Balerian fanatics had visited the planet, <laughs> you know, visited in quotations. <laughs> We're talking about a genocide here. Hmm. <laughs> And thus, Tupil had been this fairly advanced technological planet. It had a lot of the industry infrastructure already in place. Right. So it was fairly easy for these Ixian scientists to arrive and integrate and utilize a lot of the infrastructure that was already there and that did miraculously survive the Balearian Jihad uprising. Right. Second of all, the populace, having worked in this industry, was already very technologically savvy. Right, right. So these Ixians already had a workforce that was trained in the things that they needed done on top of the fact that the planet itself was bountiful in resources. Right. So the people are intelligent and plenty and raring to go, and so are the resources. Right. And third, perhaps the most important reason to appeal was ideal is because it was remote. Yeah. It was the South Dakota of the galaxy. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was the perfect place for some shady, perhaps unpopular experimentations to be happening, <laughs> considering we're in a post-computer universe. Now, in South Dakota, sorry, Tapil's vulnerable post-Butlerian <laughs> Jihad state, Venport, Sevna, and the Ixian team of scientists were basically immediately greeted as heroes. Right. Like yeah. the local Tapelians were looking at their decimated infrastructure. And here shows up some of the most intelligent, advanced technological people in the universe who are like, we want to help you rebuild. Yeah. And rebuild is what they do. Right. They basically get right to work. Yep. They repaired damage done to the planet's industrial complex. And they also started identifying, you know, again, these Tupelians are broadly very technological. These are all like millennials at least. They're pretty good with touchscreens. They know what the cloud is. They're yeah. doing great. Yeah. The Ixians don't have to ask anyone, have you tried turning it on and off again? <laughs> right. The Tupelians have already tried that. They've gone through the basic troubleshooting. <laughs> Tupelians are like, it's the first thing we tried. <laughs> and Benport's like, oh, thank God. We're home. Yep. Yep. <laughs> this is our place. Tupelians <laughs> always have backups and never forget their iCloud oh, passwords. It's paradise. <laughs> <laughs> For two people who worked at Apple at one point, it's paradise. <laughs> so what they started doing is identifying among this kind of populace of pretty technically savvy folks, they started identifying the really strong candidates and started educating them, mm -hmm. getting them up to speed on literally cutting edge research for the whole universe. Mm -hmm. Like, here's the newest, hottest science. Let's get you up to date. And... Tupelians nailed it. They were amazing. And literally, in just over a decade on Tupil, they managed to undo pretty much all of the damage that had been done by the Butlerian Jihad on this planet. Amazing. Unbelievable. <laughs> That's efficiency, folks. That's insane. Yeah. What a way to win over the populace. Yeah. Give them their planet back. Oh, really? Yeah. Now, around this time, around this decade mark into this venture on Tupil, two very, very significant things happen regarding the Spacing Guild. Right. The first is that Aurelius Venport creates this quasi-religious organization, an organization that he partly uses to run parts of the planet, 
and the industry that he's developed. Totally, yeah. The organization is called the Society of Mystic Mariners. And this is actually the original name of the Spacing Guild. Yeah. Also a great, like, indie funk. No, indie. Well, it'd be like uh, like Fleet Foxes. Uh, yeah, or what, yeah, what genre? Hmm. Like Mumford & Sons, the Society mm, of Mystic yeah. Mariners. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> like like an indie Mumford & Sons. Sea shanties. and <laughs> <laughs> So good, yeah. The other significant event that happens around this time is that Norma Sevna begins in earnest to focus on accomplishing one of her dreams, and that is hyperspace travel without computers. Yeah. She wants to crack this code, solve this Rubik's Cube, and change humanity's future. Right. How do we get back to travel and commerce on an interstellar scale, something that humanity has been unable to do for years since the jihad? Yeah. By the way, a puzzle no one else in the universe has figured out. Yep. Like this is yep. an unanswered question. And part of it's probably fear. People don't want to experiment. People don't want to like ask these questions so hot on the heels of like a galaxy wide genocide. But it's w really worth emphasizing how insane it is that she so seriously dives into this and the progress she makes. Yeah. Now, during this time, Sevna and the aforementioned Leona Shard had become very close friends. Time on a ship will do that. <laughs> you get to know the people around you. But on to Peel, they get closer. Close enough that Leona starts teaching some of the Bene Gesserit techniques and some of the Bene Gesserit teachings to Sevna. And specifically, anything related to spice trances. Hello. Hello. This is something that the Bene Gesserit had been working with, but very much in secret. And so it's significant here that Leona trusts Sevna enough to say, yeah, I'll teach you about spice trances. Right. Right. Sounds to me like they just smoked a lot together, <laughs> <laughs> which is a totally valid foundation for a friendship. I'm not judging them on that. She's like, man. We've been hotboxing these meditation techniques so much. It's so fucking relaxing. Leona's like, yeah, we're studying really hard. We're, uh, we're just, we are really pushing the boundaries, man. It's crazy. Yeah. Now, maybe just because scientists don't smoke enough weed but sevna becomes basically <laughs> the first known interstellar pilot to experiment with this use of melange of spice melange in ship direction and apparently you know she's spending all this time smoking with uh leona they're just off having a good old time listening to i don't know lenny kravitz or or uh bob dylan uh Mumford and Sons. <laughs> Mumford, they're listening to the Society of Mystic Mariners, the hot <laughs> band at the time. And Venport's jealous. Yeah. Not exactly jealous, but it kind of reads that way. He keeps saying to Sevna, you're supposed to be focused on cracking this galactic code. You're wasting all this time with Leona. And he's basically complaining here that the Bene Gesserit studies, <laughs> smoking all that weed, no, meditating, and these spice trances are distracting Sevna from her progress towards faster-than-light travel. And I get the impression here that his attitude is probably part of what makes Sevna so brilliant. Yeah. Sevna disagrees. She's like, no, I'm not wasting time. You don't get it. 
I have a vision. And in fact, she claps back in just the most incredible way. Here it is. <laughs> she says, quote, not only will I give you your ship, I will show you how to guide it. Pick the farthest star and I will take it there and bring it back. <laughs> End quote. <laughs> Amazing. Give me your grocery list. I'll pick things up. <laughs> From millions of miles. Right. It's an incredible boast. Yeah. It's insane. That's amazing. And I don't know if we've actually clarified this yet. Aurelius and Norma, by this point in their life, are married. Like, they're a couple. Yes. They're a scientist couple. Yeah. I know we joked about lovers, but, like, they're legitimately no, like literally. <laughs> a married couple. <laughs> they love each other. That love each other. Yeah. And my headcanon, this is pure <laughs> speculation. I'm going to uh-huh. say sure. the encyclopedia doesn't dive into any of this, but- Reading in between the lines here just a little bit, yeah, it's obvious that they're the kind of couple that sort of pushes themselves to be better right. scientists, uh-huh. which is lovely. That's great. Right. But also that perhaps this friendship between Norma and Leona was more than a little friendly and perhaps Aurelius was jealous. That's just my headcanon. Uh-huh. Wow. It's not in the encyclopedia, <laughs> but I like to think that there's perhaps a bit of a love triangle going on here, too. <laughs> Listen, it would make our HBO pitch better. Right. And maybe I'm a little bit biased, but Leona? Leona? Great name. Yeah. Sounds wonderful. Yeah. Sounds worth having a triangle with. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Absolutely. And, you know, HBO has a quota of tits and sex scenes that need to be on screen at any point. It's true. So we got to work in like a love triangle sex thing happening into our show at some point. (laughs) Jesus. Uh Uh-huh. It's sad, but true. It's, a, it's the formula. They have to check yeah. those boxes. Yeah. It's how, it's how you make television, folks. <laughs> yeah. So moving on from just my smutty headcanon, <laughs> Norma wasn't all talk here with her incredible clapback. Right. She followed through. Yeah. And went on to design the first guild ship called the Golden Advent, which she constructed, again, using this newly repaired industry onto Peel that her and Aurelius had given rise to over the last decade. Right. The ship is completed about 20 years after they've arrived on the planet. So just to orient ourselves on the timeline, we are now at 84 BG. So BG stands for Before Guild. We are still about 84 years away from the official start of the Spacing Guild. Right. When this ship is completed. Yeah. Still a ways to go. Now, Norma had spent many, many years with the deep belief that technology was the answer to pretty much any problem. Obviously, the Butlerian Jihad did very little to convince her otherwise. So although Leona had taught her a lot about these kind of spice trances as a way of maybe getting a glimpse of what the future might hold and maybe how that might be a key to these things, she still believed deep down that technology was sort of a crutch that one could safely rely on. And this is sort of the beginning of the end for Norma Sevna. This is tragic and it's sad. Yeah. But we'll talk about it. It's a good story and it's part of what makes her so brilliant and the character in history that she is. So in this initial maiden voyage of the Golden Advent, she would still use spice to heighten her brain's functioning. But... This is intense. This is 
This is an all or nothing uh, venture. She insisted on surgically installing diodes, electrodes in her brain, physically linking her to the ship's guidance controls. Yikes. So the right hemisphere of her brain would trigger the ship dropping out of what we understand as space and time into what is called the void. And the left hemisphere would basically navigate and find its way to the appropriate exit point, returning to normal space at a speed much faster than light. That's cool. That's some Pacific Rim shit right there. It's wild. It really is. And like Pacific Rim, that's not without risk. Yeah. Where we really start to see that risk manifest is in the return trip. Because the first part of the the first leg of the journey goes great. They actually get to the star, Mm -hmm. the distant, distant star on schedule. Like that's already just so mind-blowing that this maiden voyage accomplishes what humanity hasn't been able to do since the Butlerian Jihad. That's insane. Right. But things start going south. Yeah. Unfortunately, things turn for the worst. Right. Because as it turns out, these electrical control units in her brain attached to the ship are sending out many electrical charges that were very subtly traumatizing her brain during this trip. Right. Which I don't know or understand the science behind, but sounds bad. (laughs) Does not sound good. Yeah. Yeah. Now, interestingly enough, this damage happening sort of now in the present wasn't that bad and perhaps on its own would not have been too dangerous right but recall that she's also using spice so she's having very minor prescient visions because of her spice and these visions are exposing her subconscious to what could happen if she continues to expose her brains to these little mini charges that are traumatizing her brain waves yeah And that creates this sort of feedback loop where she is seeing this future of brain trauma that is yet to happen yet because of the minor trauma that's happening now, so on and so forth. And all of this basically overloads her brain and results in her mid-trip, mid-return trip, having these epileptic convulsions. Right. It's horrifying stuff to imagine. Yeah. It's really, it's brutal. I mean, I think about like, If you're like a major league pitcher, I don't know a lot about sports, but (laughs) I know that like major league pitchers have problems with their shoulders after like a career of Mm -hmm. pitching baseball. Mm -hmm. And I imagine a pitcher the first time throwing a ball having with no knowledge that prescience was part of the deal, (laughs) throws that first ball and all of the muscles around the shoulder going, no, 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 we have to protect the shoulder and that causing injury. Yeah. Like, that's how I think of this. Yeah. And in retrospect, we go, well, yeah, that was a bad idea, (laughs) Norma Sevna. Come on. But you have to remember that she's inventing this. Right. It's just a crazy risk, but one that she knew she had to take for humanity. Yeah. She's on the cutting edge of technology here. Yeah. So it actually was a five-day trip, like to and from this very, very distant star. She survived. But- For months following, she continued to experience seizures. Like, she retired. Yeah. She retreated from public life. You know, she was heralded, certainly, as a hero. People could not, literally could not fathom what she had accomplished. And thus, she got lots and lots of praise. But she continued to experience seizures. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the best 
medical experts onto Peel tried everything and nothing really worked. So really without an alternative, they tried a very drastic step by surgically separating the hemispheres of her brain. And this did fix the seizures, but it crippled her abilities and she didn't have a choice now. She, she was retired by necessity. Yeah. So really, really tragic. You know, she's on this pedestal, but with no ability to really enjoy the parties being thrown, the shots people are serving right. her at, you know, whatever. It's just, it's so it's sad. sad. But, you know, it is also part of her story and part of her bravery. And this was a risk. And I'm sure, I'm positive from what we've read about Norma Sevna, if you had told her that this was the cost of what she would discover and what she would do, I've like no doubt that she would have done it anyway. You know? Oh, yeah. This was her dream. Yeah. And yes, she paid a great price for it. And it's tragic to think that the price was probably the thing she valued most in her life as a brilliant scientist, her mind. Yeah. But you're absolutely correct. From what we can gather about Norma, if she could do this again, she 100% would. Right. That's how much she believed in it. Yeah. Now, folks might be wondering where her better half is during all of this. What the fuck is Aurelius Ventport up to? Right. It turns out that he's actually feeling a little bit of jealousy. Yeah. Like Norma Sevna said she would do this thing that he was quite a bit doubtful of. Right. And she did it. And she was successful. Yeah. And now she's being recognized for doing this incredible universe changing thing for having this breakthrough about space travel and being the sort of competitive, brilliant scientist that he is, he finds himself while I'm sure caring for his wife, also being a little jealous of what she has accomplished. Right. It's clear that his first love in life was perhaps science followed closely by Norma. Yeah. Great point. And this fuel, this like subtle, boiling of jealousy under the surface begins to push him to research and work for what sounds like a grueling four years after that, after Norma's maiden voyage, where he builds 12 ships with trained crews. He is taking the learnings from Norma's maiden voyage and now translating it to proper training and technology for these 12 new shiny ships. This is the, uh, tech startup era of Venport's yeah. life where he's like, guys, 80 hour weeks. It's great. Like we're building a vision. Right. And they're right. like, fuck you, dude. We don't want bowls of M&Ms. Like it's just <laughs> give us time off to see our families. He's like, no, right. I need 12 ships. <laughs> I'm paying you in stock options and blood boys. What else do you want? <laughs> it's, a, it's an open planned office. There's no cubicles. <laughs> Why are you complaining? <laughs> we have a great deal with WeWork. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh my. Totally trustworthy, not shady WeWork. We have a deal with them. Yeah, you get a key fob. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> that makes no sense to 90% of people on the planet. <laughs> Shouts to the 10% to whom it does. Hell yeah. <laughs> now, in 79 BG, Venport attempts a very similar test flight to the one that Norma did on his own flagship, one of the 12 here, that he very beautifully names Norma Sevna, oh. which I loved. Yeah. 
Again, it's easy to judge him for being jealous of his wife, but I don't think it's like an angry jealous. It is very much sort of a competitive drive that I'm sure this couple has always had and is a foundation of their love for each other, frankly. Right. Now, an important thing that Aurelius Venport is doing differently than Norma did in her first outing is making the navigators and the captains on these ships two distinct roles. Yeah. When Norma went out on the Golden Advent, she did both of these jobs herself. Right. She acted as the navigator and the captain and took on both these responsibilities. And that clearly became too much for one person to handle. Right. So Aurelius, on his 12 ships, had these two as distinct specialized roles so that both people could handle the burden of that pressure on their brains. Right. And you might think, wow, how measured and reasonable. Uh-huh. <laughs> 12 ships. Two, uh, two people per ship. Sounds great. Yep. We're lying to you. We've lied to you. I'm sorry, <laughs> listeners. It was only 11 ships that had separated roles. Uh-oh. I know. Can you see where this is going? <laughs> competitive husband is competitive. Yep. 11 ships had separate navigators and captains. The 12th ship had Aurelius Vanport. <laughs> oh, my God. I know. He wanted to do both. He wanted to do what his wife had done, solo pilot a ship, but more safely and without the like lifelong brain damage so that he could kind of be called the winner. Yeah. Like it's kind of shitty, but <laughs> maybe this is the attitude he has with all of his own achievements as well. Like, let me do that, but better. And he and his wife share everything. So maybe if the roles were reversed, she would have been the same way. I don't know. I don't want to cast too much judgment on this guy that I only right, know right. through a few paragraphs, but it seems kind of shitty. Like, <laughs> what is he going to do? Return home. <laughs> I did it. I did it. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Take that. <laughs> I don't know. It's It seems in aggressive, but whatever. Honestly, at the beginning, this journey, these 12 ships going on this trip together, coordinated together, is going well. Everything's good. They drop out of normal space as normal. They they lose radio connection when they're in the void. Sure. And then at the destination, you know, a few days later or whatever, a number of ships arrived. Uh-huh. What's the number? Well, certainly not 13 because that's <laughs> one too many. Uh-huh. 12 is best case. Yes. Unfortunately. <laughs> I've got my money on 12. Say 12. Uh-oh. Winning lotto number. <laughs> How sorry, how much money did you put on twelve? All of the money we make on this show. Oh no, Abu. <laughs> Abu, you've ruined us. <laughs> Patreon.com forward slash Gamjabar so we can keep this going after Abu's terrible decision. All this gambling debt. <laughs> because eleven ships showed up. Oh no. Not twelve. And you'll never fucking guess who Aurelius. didn't show. Aurelius Vinport, you dumb bastard. <laughs> he fucked up. And the eleven other ships are like, well, whew, this is not this is not a good look. Yeah. Oh my god. This uh second flight. And although they searched for him, like they made their way back, but they searched nearby systems, never found. Venport and his crew never found. So presumed dead. All of them. Wow. So tragic and dumb. Ugh. But whatever. His arrogance, his cockiness, his competitive drive finally got the best of him there. Icarus 
flew too close to the void and his wings <laughs> ended up inside of a sun or something. I don't know. <laughs> That's how that legend goes. Indeed. Based on Aurelius Venport. <laughs> yeah. Little known fact. Uh-huh. <laughs> now, meanwhile, back on Peel, it gets worse because Norma Sevna then falls into a depression. Right. She has now lost her faculties, her career, and her husband has gone missing, presumably dead. Right. She rapidly declines and passes away the very next year in 78 BG. Yeah. And thus ends the life of one of the goats of the galaxy, honestly. Yeah, for sure. The Dune Encyclopedia puts a beautiful bow on her life and gives her somewhat of a eulogy. Here's what it says. Yeah. Quote, Norma Sevna's contributions to the Spacing Guild cannot be overestimated. Although little remains of her original designs, she showed that melange could stimulate the human mind to replace the forbidden computers. To gain this knowledge, she paid the greatest possible price. End quote. Beautiful. Yeah. Gorgeous stuff. And we would add, in addition to what the encyclopedia says about her contributions, I think I speak for both of us when I say we would add that her bravery, her creativity, her open-mindedness, and how she single-handedly reunited humanity, saving the species from the brink of catastrophe. I mean, we are effectively in a dark age for humanity. Yeah. Interstellar travel, commerce is at a standstill. Right. Her breakthroughs are what allow that to happen. Right. And credit must be given where credit is due. The GOAT, Norma Sevna. (sighs) We love her. Honestly incredible. Also joins a like hall of fame of really incredible female characters. Yeah. Super dope. Love it. Love to see it. Mm -hmm. Also, we should take a a small, maybe smaller moment to celebrate (laughs) Aurelius Venport. Now, he may have been kind of weirdly envious of his wife's success, but he also really did motivate and kind of direct his Ixian colleagues and their new Topilian comrades towards his vision of safe, computerless, faster-than-light travel. And although Norma undeniably was the one who deserves all of the credit, literally all of the credit, for making that leap, he was a naysayer, let us not forget. Yeah. It was Vinport who established Tapil's infrastructure such that when the couple was gone, the colleagues, their colleagues, their Ixian colleagues, and the Tapilians were able to continue and... He did a great job of laying the foundation and laying the path for the people ahead of him. Also, side note, he might not be dead. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I personally don't know how the void works. Yeah. Maybe there's like time compression. Maybe it's kind of quantum state. It's totally possible a ship, like an old raggedy ship, appears (laughs) one day and it's just old Vinport and his crew and they're all just a little bit mad. Yeah. It would be so great. Yeah. And then the ship's door opens and a cranky old Aurelius walks out. And the first thing he says is, I did it, Norma. I beat you. (laughs) Take that, Norma. (laughs) They're like, I'm sorry to tell you Norma's been dead for 40,000 years. Also, you have as well. uh, But welcome back, I guess. Iconic. Iconic. Yeah. Shouts to this couple. Norma Sevna, Aurelius Vanport. Indeed. Create the foundation and are responsible for the breakthroughs that allow for the Spacing Guild to grow and evolve and become 
the <laughs> monopoly that it eventually does. What an incredible origin story. What an incredible life these two have led. Yeah. And HBO, for the 900th time, we're begging you, <laughs> Yeah, give us a budget. Let us make this happen. What an amazing story. I loved this so much. And it gives so much context to what is effectively just like the truck drivers of the galaxy, if you don't know anything <laughs> else about the Spacing Guild. <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. And you know what? Speaking of evolution, speaking of development, and speaking of the future of the Spacing Guild... Let's talk about the foundation of the guild leading up to that zero, that good old beautiful glorious zero, right after a brief break. So stick around. We're going to get right into what comes after the power couple to beat all power couples. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, folks. We hope you didn't get lost in the void. <laughs> Let's talk about the years after Norma and Aurelius passed. What happened to the mystic mariners? <laughs> Any hot singles? I want to know. <laughs> Dope EPs? When did they drop their next album? <laughs> Is the question on everyone's mind. I've been waiting. <laughs> so Norma and Aurelius had left to Peel as a thriving pocket of science and industry. Right. This is a planet that has come up from the brink because of them. And in the following 60 years, a Tupelian man named Freelo Mason takes center stage in our story. Uh, Freelo. <laughs> Freelo Mason. That is a not-so-subtle reference to Freemason, if I've ever heard one. <laughs> True. Uh-huh. Now, Mason is described as this dark-skinned, handsome, cunning and remarkably ambitious dude. Nice. Some have been known to describe me as such. I mean, that's how I introduce you. When people say, tell me about your co-host. I'm like, oh, dark skin, handsome, cunning, lest I forget. Remarkably ambitious. Like, remarkably ambitious. Oh, wow. Yeah. You're going to make me blush. I'll tell you how I introduce you to people off mic. I oh, no. Don't think, I don't think I can say it on the record. I'll hope it's positive. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. Trust me. Okay. Okay, good. So when Aurelius Venport does not return from the void, Mason assumes control of the Society of Mystic Mariners. Right. And gives them a clear goal. This dude has a vision. Right. He wants to turn the Mariners into an interstellar shipping monopoly, moving swiftly and safely through hyperspace. Oh, my God. That's the dream, folks. I love it. I can hear the commercial now. <laughs> <laughs> In addition to establishing that dream and that goal for the organization, he goes on to transform it, restructuring it, making it much more efficient than he used to be, shrouding it in secrecy. And basically establishing the guild as we know it to this day. Yeah. 10,000 years later in the modern story of Dune, this is where the Spacing Guild's shape 
begins to take form because of what Freelo Mason does once he takes over the Mystic Mariners. Yeah, I was going to say that's a great way of putting it. Like the shape of the guild. This is the scaffolding. This is the outline. He is the one that commits it to Ink. And we're going to talk now about his son, Jasta Mason. But although we're moving on, let it not be glossed over that Freelo Mason basically in one lifetime established a business model that would basically work for 10,000 years. Yeah. And that's nuts. Right. Name the last company that ran for 10,000 years. You can't. <laughs> you can't. Except for, I don't know, GE. <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> kind of a... Probably some yogurt company. <laughs> yeah. Fade. <laughs> Clearly fade yogurt. Yeah. So his son. Let's talk about Jasta Mason. And Jasta, he's great. Yeah. He's wonderful. He took that old pig skin. He took that football his dad passed him at the 10-yard line or something, I don't know, and got it all the way to the hoop. He hucked it into the goal space. It's great. <laughs> he did the sports. Because, listen, over 30 years, only 30 years, he assembled a substantial fleet, first of all, figured out the best way of navigating it yeah and yep. also secured perhaps the most important element of the guild's operations a connection to arrakis oh yeah that's a big deal arrakis is the origin of all spice melange mm -hmm. and for the soon-to-be spacing guild having a direct access to literally the fuel they rely on for their navigation is paramount like it is so important and basically in 12 BG, Jasta's organization, which we're going to call the Guild from now on, was in a good place, ready to basically reintroduce themselves to the rest of humanity. And there is kind of a fun little spice morsel about the name of the Guild, but we're going to talk about that at the end. So make sure your appetite is ready for a delicious spice morsel. That's right. And recall that all of this, Norma Sevna, Aurelius Vanport, the Mystic Mariners, Freelo, Josta, all of these characters have been operating from Tupil, from South Dakota, on the fringes <laughs> of the known galaxy right. in utter secrecy. Yes. Good point. Yeah. So now in 12 BG, to your point, Leo, is when they are finally feeling comfortable in reintroducing themselves. To the rest of the galaxy. Right. They've kind of been off in their own corner doing their own thing. Right. And frankly, coming up with these incredible galaxy history changing breakthroughs. Yeah. The way they introduce themselves phew, is an HBO show onto itself. <laughs> this fucking crazy story. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. The guild from the fringes of space for years now has sort of been snooping around, right? You, you send out some feelers, you make sure everyone else is chilling and doing good. Right. You got to keep up to date on the politics of the universe. And it turns out that the Carinos are at this point very eager to establish their empire. Right. They have come out of this Butlerian Jihad. They have established themselves on the Imperial throne and they have designs for a galaxy wide empire. Yeah. And also one that lasts a long, long time. Not just one 
that they earned through bloodshed that they maintain for a little bit before they're like assassinated and blah, blah, blah. They want one that's stable, that's going to last forever is the goal. Absolutely. Long-term planning. Yeah. So Josta at this moment decides to send out an agent. We are going to send out a person to introduce ourselves to this new empire, uh-huh. to these Carinos we've heard so much about. I'm sure it'll go well. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert, it doesn't. <laughs> this agent named Zarv, Zarv. <laughs> is thus sent out to meet with the imperial governor of Deneb. Yeah. And unbeknownst to Zarv, the poor guy. <laughs> he didn't know. He didn't know. <laughs> he has actually been conditioned by the guild just in case he is questioned about the guild, where they're located, about its inner workings and secrets right. by the governor. Which, coincidentally, was probably good thinking on Josta and the guild leadership's part. Sure. Because that's exactly what happens. Immediately. Uh-huh. The governor of Deneb throws Zarv in prison, tortures him, and questions him about the guild. Yeah. Who are you? Who do you represent? Where are they? What is their secret to space travel? How'd they do it? Yeah. How'd they do it? Zarv reveals nothing. His conditioning <laughs> is rock solid. And our poor guy goes to the grave without revealing any of the guild secrets, but also without establishing any sort of relationship. <laughs> he just goes out there to get imprisoned and tortured. R.I.P. Zarv. As I understand it, it's literally like it was a conditioning to cause him to die if questioned too deeply. Right. He just was conditioned to die, which has got to be confusing because <laughs> Zarv might have had the thought. He's like, oh, I'll tell him. Why not? <laughs> like, it's just it's fucked up. It's fucked up not to tell him. At least yeah. get his consent. Jesus. Yeah. There, there are some ethical questions I have about this, but it is what it is, is all I'll say. <laughs> so Zarf died. The guild directors panicked. They were like, well, that sucks. We liked Zarf. Zarf was a nice guy. Yeah. He got tortured to death. Ah, shit. This is not going well. So what do we do? Are we safe? Do we play it safe? Do we just kind of hole up, continue to develop our new techniques? Or do we uh, maybe send some more ambassadors to, I don't know, maybe get tortured and killed and maybe they get followed <laughs> back and then maybe, oh, fuck, we're being invaded by literally the Sardaukar. Yeah. The Imperial Army. It's possible. Like, that's a real threat. And they didn't know what to do. So like any good uh, publicly traded company, they asked their stockholders, which is to say <laughs> the board of directors voted. So not their stockholders. They just decided, the higher-ups. They put it to a vote. And like many important votes, it was deadlocked. It was a tie, uh. which is tough. Enter Chairman Justin Mason uh-huh. <laughs> with just an iconic speech. And this was captured by a historian, and I'm going to do my best to deliver it in the way that I think he might have. Hell yeah. Let's hear it. <sighs> okay. <laughs> I'll try not to laugh throughout it because there are some funny moments. Okay. Zarv died horribly. And we're all sorry about that, but we can't let it panic us. Now you say, be safe, be careful. 
but Zarv wasn't. Norma Sevna wasn't when the spice was killing her brain cell by cell. Venport wasn't when he took the fleet into the void. If the Ixians had been safe and careful, all of us right now would be sitting around a campfire wearing skins. The guild can make us great. I tell you, we can be the wings of the Imperium. Right now, this moment, as we argue, a new humanity is being conceived, and we have the chance to shape the child that will be born. Hesitate now, and the chance will never come again. As the Imperium develops, that child will grow. And if we hide onto Peel for how long? A century? Two centuries! When we come out of our burrows and look at him, we'll see that he can fly all right. But his wings won't be guild ships. But they can be. We can be those wings. If we remember who and what we are, and be bold. End quote. <laughs> hear, hear! Oh my god! Justa! You knocked it out of the park! Ah! Let's riot! That was incredible. <laughs> Just send that tape in as your audition to HBO for Justa Mason. I think you'll get the role, buddy. Who? I, this is not even joking. I'm like, not joking. This isn't hyperbole. Legitimate goosebumps while you were reading that. Oh, thanks. That was incredible. <laughs> wow. It's a good speech. <laughs> <laughs> His speech was great. And you know what? Goosebumps you had, Abu? Goosebumps were had in the meeting because everyone agreed. They were like, fuck, can't argue with that. Jesus. Yeah. Unanimous. Everyone agreed. They're like, you know what? Yeah. Let's be brave. Let's be bold. Send more Zarbs. Incredible. <laughs> also, quick side note. I like implying that Zarv was brave. <laughs> I don't know that Zarv knew he was conditioned to die. <laughs> but listen, it's a good speech. I, did, I didn't want to ruin your speech, but I did almost burst out laughing at Zarv died horribly. And we're all sorry about that. Whatever. But let's not panic. <laughs> it's like just brushing poor Zarv it's aside. <laughs> It's genuinely funny. And I almost laughed at Zarv wasn't because I had the thought. We also didn't tell him about the he's definitely right. going to die. Like he thought this was a totally casual meeting. Yeah. Don't know that Zarv signed up to die as an ambassador. <laughs> you know what happened to Zarv's wife and kids? I hope they got a great life insurance package. <laughs> what about Mrs. Zarv and Zarv Jr.? <laughs> Are they taken care of? <laughs> well, perhaps they're in this second wave of outreach because sure. after this vote this unanimous vote the guild decides all right let's send some <laughs> let's send zarv jr out <laughs> can you imagine They're like well fuck that sucked all right all right kiddo you're up go on kid mama zarv is just like please you've taken everything from me not my child <laughs> you'll be the third wave wait your turn <laughs> Oh, I'm so shit. glad you said that. I was going to say it if you didn't. <laughs> uh, I'm wiping tears. Same. Oh, man. Oh, Zarb so, Jr. <laughs> Zarb Jr. potentially is sent out to meet with the governor of Nabatee. Uh-huh. And this goes much better. Zarb oh, Jr. God. really showing up as Papa. <laughs> It's not a competition, but one of them died. <laughs> right. One of them died. 
one of them actually established a connection between this new empire and the guild. <laughs> the governor of Nabati was much more open to hearing what Zarb Jr. had to say. And while he didn't believe him outright, right. he was like, what? Faster than light travel? You've made it possible? I don't really believe you. Yeah. He was willing to at least meet with guild representatives and be shown a demonstration of their abilities. Right. And so that's what happens. The guild sends a Highliner, <laughs> picks up the governor's ship, and delivers him to the Imperial Court in just three days. And how much time does that shave off? <laughs> so much. A lot, folks. Because that trip, yeah. without the Spacing Guild's technology, would have taken the governor two years. Insane. Yeah. A two-year trip in just three days. And this obviously convinces the governor that the guild is the real deal. These people are serious. Their technology works as advertised. He's like, man, this ambassador from the guild might only be nine years old. <laughs> and he seems recently traumatized by a major loss in his family. But damn it, if that wasn't impressive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Impressive stuff. A small note about this trip, actually, that is really interesting and significant is that the Nabataeans, the governor and his crew, brought their ship onto this Highliner, but then were not allowed to leave the confines of their own ship. Right. They could not just walk around this Spacing Guild Highliner on their own. Yeah. Because, again, Spacing Guild, very secret, wants to keep a tight lip on their technology and their inner workings. And this rule, that any passengers must remain on their own ships is a practice that continues for the next 10,000 years and well into Dune. In the story of the books, when people travel on Highliners, they don't leave their ships. Yeah. This is where that rule comes into play. <laughs> Pretty good. Just the luck of coming up with just about the perfect solution on the first try seems to be sort of a Mason trait. Yeah. Yeah. Something they're just good at. is just figuring out, you know what, this probably seems best. And they're right for a long time. Now, the timing of all this is actually pretty incredible. You know, again, props to the Mystic Mariners, the guild, for timing all this. Because at this moment, Emperor Sadir of House Carino, the emperor, is in the midst of trying to establish this, you know, thousand-year dynasty, this 10,000-year dynasty. And as part of that, is in this year-long debate with the Landsrad, right? The, the organization of all the other major houses and houses minor and, and all of the basically other major political parties in the universe. They're having this big debate for years about the future structure of the empire, right? Right. Is it going to be like a autocratic society? Is it going to be more democratic? Like what is the nature of the empire? The guild showing up as part of this puts all of this on hold. And to put it briefly, the emperor had a few options as he sought. He considered destroying the guild. He was like, well, pff, can't have that. <laughs> Absolutely not. Trying to seize control of it, which has its own problems. Although, of course, he has his Sardaukar, which solves most problems, as it turns out. <laughs> and ultimately a third option, which he couldn't really escape the draw towards, which is the kind of myriad benefits of a mutually beneficial kind of symbiotic relationship with the guild. Now, it couldn't be decided how the guild would fit into this 
10,000-year plan without the involvement of the Lance Rad, without the involvement of everybody else. So he threw a party. <laughs> Let's get together, folks. We got a new person in town, and we got to talk about it. This Zarb Jr. is great. <laughs> great 10-year-old. He's wonderful. Now, this quote-unquote big party is something called a financial synod, which is convened on the planet Aurarium the Fourth in the year 10 BG. Nice. Just to orient ourselves once again on that timeline. We're getting closer and closer right. to the official formation of the guild in the year zero. To be totally transparent, synod is a word that I'm not super familiar with. <laughs> nope. <laughs> in essence, a financial synod is this big meeting to sort out the finances of this empire and to figure out how the guild would play a part in all of this. Okay. Right. Yeah. Now, the guild went into this cyanide. <laughs> I'm going to use the word like I know what it is. Cyanide. I know that word. <laughs> went into the cyanide with one major concern. If anybody discovers that we are wholly reliant on spice, we have no leverage. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, that is the thought on every guild member's mind. Their dependence on spice cannot be discovered. So, as an incredibly ballsy bluff... <laughs> They bring a gift of melange. They bring a gift of spice to the empire. Amazing. They're like, guys, look at this stuff. You know what is so cool about it? And all of the Bene Gesserit who actually know what's great about it freak out quietly. <laughs> like, you know what's really cool about it? It can make you live longer, which it is a quality of spice, but it's not the like biggest deal for navigators or for the guild or for Benny Gesserit. And the Imperium's like, yo, that's dope. <laughs> Hell yeah. Asked no other questions. Not even interested. <laughs> they were like, say less. We love it. Yeah. That's an amazing product. So the guild introduces this melange to the empire as a whole. And of course, being the only organization that can travel faster than light safely, is in a perfect position to make sure that the people who can afford it can get it, right? And this plan worked. Once that hurdle was cleared, like once their dependence on spice was not a topic that they were worried about people discovering, honestly, they were kind of safe. Mm -hmm. Guild ambassadors were making it clear during this meeting. If anybody tries any shenanigans, any ne'er-do-wellian behavior, <laughs> shout out. <laughs> Gary Goldman. Gary Goldman. If y'all do anything funny, we can make it back to our planet faster than you can, and we can destroy our hyperspace industries. And of course, everyone goes, well, that, okay, we have no leverage then. We can't do anything about that. Mm -hmm. Well played. That's an ace in the sleeve. So the guild establishes, we are going to maintain our secretive status. And as long as we're able to, as long as no one asks funny questions, we will serve everyone and everyone will benefit and that was the deal and everyone agreed it's a good deal great deal yeah you can really start to sense the monopoly really start to feel the monopoly and it's vice-like grip around your neck in these moments they passed go and they just took every 500 hundred dollar bill <laughs> and no one could stop them right exactly truly as 
sort of dangerous as their position is, if this secret about Spice gets out, right. they are also coming into these negotiations from a position of power. Yeah. yeah. They are bringing something to the empire, to this new empire. Remember, this very young, new Carino empire. They are offering them literally a path out of these dark ages. Yeah. That two-year trip, how about we do it in three days? <laughs> that is a hard offer to turn down. Now, at the Synod, something called Chome is also established. Way too much to get into at the moment. TBA, we will definitely do a Chome episode at some point. Right. But following the Synod and these agreements being made, Josta Mason goes to work right. and spends years negotiating all of the nitty-gritty small deals that have to be cut when running such a massive enterprise, the commercial areas, the product rights, the monetary exchange, tariffs, schedules, transport costs, on and on. Right. All the tiny details that have to be negotiated and formalized, he spends the next couple of years doing. Once the Empire has agreed, yes, we want to work with the Guild, now we got to figure out the terms of the deal and get it in writing. Right. And honestly, as boring as some of this frankly sounds, <laughs> I mean, nobody wants to have negotiations over tariffs like that sounds like a boring nine to five <laughs> anybody who has run a business of any scale knows how important the little details are right knows that the smallest details can make or break your business and we have to give credit once again where credit is due to Josta mason he spends these years establishing the deals that will make the spacing guild one of the literal most powerful forces in the empire over the next 10,000 years. Right. And establishing the deals that will sustain the guild for these next 10,000 years. That's a lot of work, a lot of foresight, and our boy Josta Mason comes through. Yeah. And honestly, this brings us to the foundation of the Spacing Guild. Here we are. Here we are. Josta made it happen. Historians look at this as the moment that we go from before Guild to after Guild. And now, let's talk about these years since. For sure. So let's wind down this episode. We are getting closer and closer into modern day. From 0 AG to 10,191 AG, which is the year that Dune begins, Right. very little is detailed about the Guild. And that's mostly because Freelo and Josta... Kind of nailed it. Right. Right? They did all of the legwork, all of that pre-production work to make sure that the show is a hit. And thus it is. The Guild signs these treaties, signs these deals, and starts becoming the monopoly that Freelo envisioned for it all those years ago and continues to gather power over these next 10,000 years. Yeah. Josta Mason passed away in 31 AG. Right. And the Dune Encyclopedia says this about his life. Quote, He was one of the great figures in history of human commerce, but he died without a successor of comparable stature and authority. Hmm. Yet it was a measure of his accomplishment that the guild did not suffer from his passing. The organization that Josta and his father before him had partly inherited and partly created worked well through a board of directors. Intelligent and capable people they no longer needed empire builders. Their purpose was not to create, but to maintain and refine the spacing guild. To plume the wings of the Imperium. End quote. Oh, 
<laughs> so good. Wow. Holy shit. I know. Wow. Goosebumps again. <laughs> That's beautifully said, Encyclopedia. Can the authors of the Encyclopedia write my eulogy? <laughs> Police. Yes. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. So, as that kind of implies, but as we can confirm, thanks to Justin Freelo, the Guild's organization doesn't really change for thousands of years. Overall, some broad trends. The secrecy of the Guild, top tier. So much so that literally their fuel source for their prescience guided faster than light travel in 10,191 AG is still completely a secret. Yeah. With maybe the exception of the Bene Gesserit. And the Bene Gesserit, even among themselves, keep secrets. So might only be the guild and like five people. Mm -hmm. Really seriously. Right. They also leveraged, during those initial negotiations, they leveraged to peel, making the Spacing Guild homeworld a secret getaway for basically political figures who need to escape threats of assassination after fallings out. Yeah. And basically due to running all commerce in the Imperium, the guild has this kind of unmatched influence and no one can really oppose them. Right. They don't crack down ever, but they could. And that's so much power. And you can't overstate that, really. Absolutely. They speak softly, but they're carrying the biggest motherfucking <laughs> stick. No kidding. In the entire Imperium. Goes to the void and back. <laughs> a void stick. A, vo a void stick. Oh, my God. Final <laughs> Fantasy item over here. <laughs> right. <laughs> and there you have it. That is the history and founding of the Spacing Guild. Freelo's dream has been accomplished. Monopoly established, folks. Yeah. Now, there is more to say about the Guild, which, as we stated earlier, we are going to save for a future episode because that then dives into some light spoilers from the books. And we want to keep today spoiler-free and keep today focused on history. We will talk more about the inner workings of the Guild, how the organization is run, and some of the changes that the modern Guild undergoes in a future episode. Yeah. So for now, that's where we'll leave the conversation today, except one more thing. <laughs> I am so happy to bring you all a spice morsel. Now, mm -hmm. book club members know what these are. Little easy-to-miss details in Dune lore. And this was a sentence we nearly left out of the script, but honestly, I came upon it pretty late in our script-building process, and I love it so much I had to include it. Here we go. The Society of Mystic Mariners came to be known as the Spacing Guild. Or did it? <gasps> hmm. Well, take this with a grain of salt, because this is from the Dune Encyclopedia. I'm going to read this little passage in full, because it's pretty concise. Quote, The term Spacing Guild was a name offered for convenience to those it served. Among its members, it was known as the Corpus Luminous Prenuntiantis, which may be translated, the Union of the Foreseeing Eye. Wow. Its motto was Quilibet Quolibet Quando Libet, which I probably fucked up the emphasis of, but it's fine. Quote, anything, anytime, anyplace. Yo! <laughs> Yo, what a varsity jersey to have. Incredible. The Union of the Foreseeing Eye. We gotta make t-shirts about that. <laughs> 
<laughs> member of the union of the foreseeing eye. Really a more complicated euphemism for someone who smokes a lot of weed. Right. But I'll take it. Like, that's yeah. cool. Another heavy-handed Freemason reference <laughs> as well. But Yo, no kidding. Amazing. I love that so much. Okay, Leo, let's wrap up as we like to do with a little question. Oh, sure. Sometimes we do silly. Sometimes we do serious. Today, I wanted to ask you, honestly, a bit of a genuine question here. Fuck, Mary kill. Okay. <laughs> That's a great question. Maybe we should scrap the one in the script and just pivot. <laughs> no, no, I like I like this question. <laughs> All right, we'll stick with the one in the script. <laughs> of the characters we've talked about today, it's clear between Aurelius, Norma, Leona, Frilo, Josta, sure. that creating an interstellar shipping monopoly that lasts for 10,000 plus years takes a village. Sure. And I'm curious, which one of these influential founders inspires you most mm. sort of setting aside our own feelings about problematic capitalist goals of making everything into a monopoly <laughs> sure which one of these historical figures inspired you the most today Oof. okay so i'm tempted to say norma sevna i mean literally our girl is out here yeah uniting benny jesuit teaching with astrophysics <laughs> <laughs> amazing in a way that no one else thought to do in a way that her husband was like, no, that doesn't make sense. And she still did it. Yeah. But as much as I love Norma Sevna, I will pick today Just a Mason. Okay. <laughs> and again, I'm biased because I like his speech. But <laughs> to justify my pick a little bit, it's not easy to be handed a career by your dad. Here's the company, son. But to turn around that experience, handle a few existential threats, you know, couple of Zarves get killed. <laughs> a few of that family is murdered. Sure. But you then nail the business negotiations in the like pivotal, most important period of a business's existence that establishes a 10,000 year business. Like that's insane. Yeah. And he has that killer speech, right? Which really just as easily could have been another Benny Tleilax. And I won't explain that, but those who know, know. And at the end of the day, like, although we very much sold a Norma Sevna, Aurelius Venport kind of HBO adaptation, honestly, like a succession style, like Mason family series. Wow. With Frilo and Jasta. Yeah. And then like maybe that next generation or whatever. Oh, that sounds great. <laughs> it sounds so good. That's amazing. I would love it. I'd watch the fuck out of that. Oh, it'd be so good. I'd binge it. Unless it's released every week, like torture. But it's fine. <laughs> be fine. But that's my pick. That's that's uh that's where my mind goes. What about you? What's your sort of MVP pick among this cast? So I'm also very tempted to say Norma for many of the same reasons that you were. Right. But I'm actually gonna go with Freelo Mason. Oh, okay. What I admire about Freelo despite the fact that we probably, of all the characters, talked least about him, perhaps next to Leona. Sure. My guy had a vision. Yeah. He had a vision for this company that he inherited. He created a game plan. He executed on that vision. And without much in the way of drama, effectively made it happen. Right. To your point about Josta inheriting a company, Freelo also inherited from these two legendary founders <laughs> this thing. This organization. True. And it was up uh -huh. to him to shape it into something, to give it a direction. And he did. I just think of like 
the horrible power vacuum that would have been left after Aurelius and Norma died. Yeah. Like, there was probably a period of years where there was real risk that the mystic mariners would just disappear. Right. That the organization would just dissolve. And it really took Freelo Mason jumping in, taking the reins, to make sure that didn't happen. Yeah. Let's also not undersell the fact that this transition to power to his son, to Josta, was not only smooth, but also not just nepotism. Mm, yeah. His son was legit the best candidate to complete the vision that Freelo set out for the company. Right. Props. Props for him for both raising an incredible son, apparently, and also <laughs> handing him the reins in a way where there was no uprising from the board. Everyone was like, yeah, dude, no, your son is great. Yeah. Wow. So I just want to shout out Freelo Mason here. He really inspired me. And I think the lesson I've learned from him is that any old schmuck can have a bold vision. Anyone can have a dream. Yeah. But it takes a very special kind of person and a very skilled leader to actually make it happen, to put the pieces in place for the dominoes to fall in just the right way. And Freela Mason did that for the guild. You know, you make a compelling point. I realize in retrospect, we both chose wrong. Oh. The person who should inspire us both. Yeah. Truly. Truly. <laughs> Zarv Jr. Zarv Jr. <laughs> Zarv Jr. <laughs> Out here, first of all, not even a character. We made him up. Second of all, <laughs> his papa, tortured, conditioned against his will, killed. Zarv Jr. showed up. Zarv Jr. didn't let the fact that he was a nine-year-old who didn't have a say in it get in the way. Not <laughs> at all, folks. Mission. He brought it home. What an anime <laughs> arc for our boy Zarv Jr. <laughs> we got to pitch this to Bones. This has got to happen. <laughs> Well, friends, there is no real ending. It's just the place where you stop the recording. But this podcast is always one step beyond logic. So help us spread the word of Mwadib and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Lore Party Podcast Network on loreparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, he who controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you on the Golden Advent. Oh, yeah. This organization is called the Society of Mystic Mariners. Mariners. And that is actually the... Oh, mar Mariners? Mariners, wow. yeah. <laughs> going to marinate this chicken. It <laughs> <laughs> sounds so sexual. Marinate this chicken. Mm. <laughs> marinate that ass, girl. Hey, she. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. All right. All right. <laughs>